Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Amen. Well, howdy. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Grace Bible Church Southwood, and uh, it is a fun morning, especially on the tail of another win for Aggies. Okay, okay. It is a great win. Hey, if you have a Bible, jump to Romans chapter 12. Um, As we're flipping there, just a couple of of things. Uh, Thank you guys so much for being on this journey with us to be here at Consol. If you're new to Grace College, you don't realize that this is our first semester here, and it's been absolutely phenomenal. So the band has been amazing. Give them a hand. Our sound team has been absolutely phenomenal. Give them a hand. Yes. And, uh, and our volunteer base that kind of pulls off everything, setting up everything. Give them a hand, too. And, of course, our table hosts are absolutely phenomenal. Give them a great big hand as well. It's been an amazing semester, and so thank you so much for being on this journey with us. It's been absolutely an honor to, to be here with you guys. So, uh, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump over to verse 9. It says this, I appeal to you as a living sacrifice, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give, thank, or give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. But do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And pray for us. Lord, I thank you so much for, for these words that you inspired Paul to write. And Lord, I, I, I know that they are challenging words. They're, there is a call to live radically different than our culture, radically different than our world, radically different than is, for the most part, comfortable But Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that we would be people that would be changed first by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of a transformed mind and body and with the power of the spirit, we would live a transformed life. And Father, we can't do that. We can't will ourselves to do the things that you're asking us to do. So we pray, Lord, that you give us your spirit and that you move in us, convict us where we need convicting and show us how to be your people to make a radical difference in this world. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Well, we've been in a series called Different. And we've been asking this question, what should a Christian look like in the world? What difference should it make that if you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, how should your like life look different? And several weeks ago, we looked at work and what your life looked like in the context of work as a believer. And then last week, we looked at our words. How should our words look different if we actually have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? And thirdly, we are going to look at how we interact in the world. What is your life like in the world? And I want to just kind of show one uh, thing to you real quickly. Um, we, are, uh, we are having a, a, our content on the Uversion app. And so if you go to the Uversion app and you type in the, the search, search for different um, different direction. You can literally follow along uh, with a uh, devotional time along with this sermon series. And so you can start whenever you want, go through the weeks, but if that's something that'll be helpful for you to walk with, um, with Christ during this time, that would be really, really helpful for you. And so what it should look like, and this says words, I'm so sorry, that's just a different world. I'm very sorry that that is the case. But the world that we live in should look Different, And as I was, I was thinking about this topic and I was thinking about us, I, I wanted to first ask the question, okay, what does it look like to be a Christian in your context? What are the accusations typically thrown against you? And I, I hear some of these accusations. One of them is this, is that uh, Christians are too hard, like they're too judgmental. On the other side of it, I hear the same thing. The Christians are too soft, and they use kind of this language. How are you? You know, like, like that's kind of the Christian-isk kind of thing. Another way uh, people describe this, well, Christians seem um, hypocritical. They, 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 they don't live any better than normal people. Some people view Christians as isolated or exclusive or just so different, it's difficult to assimilate with them in normal culture. So what is a Christian supposed to be like? What is a Christian life supposed to look like in this world? And I'll tell you this, the Christian life is extremely difficult. It looks different, and that difference actually comes with a great bit of difficulty. G.K. Chesterton was a a writer and theologian, um, and he he wrote this, The Christian ideal has never been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so when Paul moves to this point in the book of Romans, he's actually, in the first 11 chapters, established um, what a Christian should believe. What, what is the Christian supposed to believe? And the Christian is supposed to believe this, that, that I have been bought with a price. I've been, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe that he died in my place for my sins. I am one. He laid down his life for me. And my response, my response to that great gift, that great reality, should be a different life. And so the first 11 chapters of of Romans, Paul lays out, this is everything that you have in Christ. And then in the next chapters, 12 through 15, he lines out, and this is how we are supposed to now live. If we've been saved by Jesus, this is what a Christian life should look like. And in verse 1 of of chapter 12, he says this, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And the first thing that Paul says is this. This life should be a dedicated life. The first part of your life is is to give your life, your body, your existence to God. 
The, and he says this, it's the, the reasonable response. He says, by the mercies of God, this is acceptable to God. This is your reasonable worship. This is your spiritual worship, but also it's the word um, logical. This is your logical next step. If you have received the mercies of God, the natural logical step would be to dedicate your body to his cause. And we see this in all sorts of areas. For example, if for some reason... You went out for the A&M football team, and you're like, I think I can make it. Like, I'm 120 pounds, and, and I played flag football in high school. Like, I think I can make the team. And you went out for it, right? Like, they, they said, okay, uh, come down to the tryout, and you actually made the team. And they're like, I don't know how this happened. And you got onto the team. What would you immediately start doing? Praying, right? God, give me 100 more pounds, um, and, and, and you, would, you would immediately start dedicating yourself to the, to the playbook. You would dedicate yourself to the weight room. You would dedicate yourself to a new diet. Like you would dedicate yourself because of this great new opportunity. Would you not? Home of the 12th man, people. Would you not? You would. Some of you, um, you're like, I don't care about football. But what I really want is a new car. And you're like, like Kevin, not care about football? Okay, whatever. Moving on. Uh, some of you, if, you, if you got this new, this amazing sports car, how many of you would then dedicate yourself to how this thing worked? I mean, it may be a standard. You may not know how to do the clutch and stuff, but you'd be like, I'm going to learn, people. Like, I'm going to dedicate. Like, when I see the quality of the gift and I see the opportunities before me, I will then dedicate myself to using this. You will then say, I'm going to read up on this vehicle. I'm going to figure out how to drive this vehicle. I'm going to take turns at 150 miles an hour in this vehicle like i'm gonna do whatever i can right like if i know the quality of the gift i will then dedicate myself to how to use it my kids they're begging for this um for christmas it's called a hoverboard right they want a hoverboard they're begging me Daddy, can I have a hoverboard? One of my sons, he's like 42 pounds. you got to be at least 50 or 60 pounds to ride this thing. And they're like, please, Daddy. And, and even though this is the future we can all hope for after getting a hoverboard, you, once you receive that, you will stand on it and you will dedicate yourself to learning how to navigate this. It's simply true. If you see the, the greatness of the opportunity... And the greatness of the gift that you received, you will then dedicate your life to learning how to use it. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, by the mercies of God, I beg you, if you see the gravity of what God has given you, it seems reasonable to to dedicate your life to seeing how this Christian life plays out. But there's a second piece that that you need. He says this, I want you to dedicate your life, but, but he tells you, I don't want you to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Literally, I don't want you to be packed into a form that everyone else in the world lives by. But I want you to be transformed. The Greek word where we get our word metamorphosis, literally change. The metamorphosis as we use it is for a butterfly, right? It's a little worm, caterpillar, creates a, a cocoon. And in that cocoon, he goes for a period of time, and then he comes out a butterfly. And if you were to look to, at what that, that creature looked like when he went into the cocoon, and what he came out as, you would say, this is not the same creature. It looks nothing like it once did. And what Paul is saying is, look, the, the dramatic change that comes by meeting Christ should not be merely a dedicated life, but a transformed mind. 
A mind that now loves the things that God loves. A, a mind that wants to do the things that God is doing in the world. Literally a transformation that goes so deep, people don't even recognize you. And for some of you, this has happened. Like you came to faith, some of you in college, and you started walking with Christ. And then when you went home for the holidays, maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas, things were different. And and you wanted to read your Bible, you wanted to pursue the things of God, and maybe even you were nicer to your parents and siblings. Like there was this radical thing in Eddieland, you know, Like, like what is going on? But that transformation that came to you transformed how you interact, what you do next. And I'll tell you what Paul is saying is the natural thing that should happen is that when you see the gifts of God that you've received, it should transform what you give, but it should transform how you think about the world. And then he goes on to say that transformation is extremely radical. That transformation will play out both in the community of believers and to those outside of the community. That surrendered life will play out in in love that looks very, very different than the love of the world. And he goes on to describe that first quality of love in verse 9. He says this in verse 9. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The word genuine right there means sincere. It means that you would have a sincere love of people. And that mean, that word sincere is the, the word that we get our word for hypocrite. It's, it's what they would call an actor. And a hypocrite in their culture was an actor. In Greek culture, their actors would wear masks depending on their mood that they wanted the character to portray. He'd put one mask on if he wanted to be happy, another mask if he wanted to be sad, and they would literally have a mask that would, that would show the emotions of the actor. And what Paul is saying is, look, when we love people, when you see this genuine love from a transformed Christian, the, we don't wear masks anymore. Like, we should be people that genuinely love, genuinely love by pursuing what's right, not merely what's, what we shouldn't do. He says, abhor what is evil. That means avoid certain things. But not only that, pursue the right things. Pursue what is good. And you have to do this. You literally have to train your body and mind to submit to some of these new desires. Because what happens when you come to faith is, is your old, the flesh of yourself doesn't go away. You still have the wrong desires that come out every now, and, every now and then, or frequently for some of us. And so we're supposed to say, okay, there are also these new desires. There's these new things that I need to pursue, and I need to submit myself to those new trainings. And one of them is to, to hate what is evil and to pursue what is good. Several years ago when I had a, uh, our dog, um, a dog named Faith, she was a, the perfect dog. She passed away this summer, so very sad. We had to get over it, but it was very sad. And uh, she, she died at 15, um, was the best. No other dog will be compared to this dog. Anyway, she was an Australian shepherd, so cute. Remember, we're taking, to her, taking her to obedience training. And if you've ever been to obedience training, it's actually not dog obedience training. It is owner obedience training. And so when we're there, we're standing there, and, and Faith would, would uh, be standing at attention at first and then start running off different directions, sniffing other dogs, just completely a mess. And, and the... The instructor would then come over to me. It's like, okay, sir, um, when your dog does that, I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Why are you correcting me? The problem is clearly here, right? 
But the, the instructor comes to me and says, okay, when, when your dog does that, here's what you need to do. You need to redirect them. You need to teach them a different interaction. So teach them instead of, of, of saying, no, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, and pulling them, which was my natural tendency, what you need to do is redirect them. So here's what you do. You have a clicker. You have a treat. So say, oh, sit, click, treat. And dog said, oh, I'm rewarded by doing this. That's interesting. The yelling no, 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 and dragging it actually didn't help. And when you think about it for a second, it totally makes sense. But how many times in life do we look at the Christian life and we merely say, okay, if I'm a Christian, here are things I can't do. Like, I'll just talk about what newly is described as evil and I'll, I'll avoid the bad things. And so the Christian life for some of us is merely about avoiding sin. And I'll tell you what, if you only avoid sin with your entire life, let me tell you what, you do not live the Christian life. The Christian life isn't merely avoiding what's wrong. It's conversely, when we sing, what's right. And that's a sincere love. It's a a transformed life. When we sincerely love one another, we're training ourselves to pursue the right things. And he goes on to describe more of those right things. He says this in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Isn't that amazing? Verse 10 is probably my favorite from the entire section. It's outdo one another in showing honor. What what it means to honor is to look at someone else's life and recognize them and appreciate them above yourselves. You recognize their qualities and you appreciate that person for what they have. But so for many of us, most of us, we may be this person, we have the one-upper friends, Right? So you're sitting around at a coffee shop, or you're sitting around watching a movie, and you say, hey, man, I had a really tough week, man. I was, I was sick all weekend, and, and, and someone chimes in like, oh, yeah? Well, I've been sick for the past month. And you're like, okay. And you're like, you're like yeah, I, I, mean, I even had to go to the hospital, and I had to get IV fluids. And they're like, oh, really? Really? Well, I had, to, I had to get a blood transfusion. And you're like, what, are, what game are we? And they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, well... I lost my leg, you know, like I, they had it, it's, uh, it's not even here, you know, like, you're like, what, what are you doing? And you, so you, you have those people and you can't even like share a story. You can't even like say anything without them being like, oh yeah, well look at mine. Oh yeah, well look at mine. You know, and you're just like, calm it down, you know? And what Paul says is we, we don't, we don't do that. We don't look to one up people. We look to one up. And if we're going to one up someone, we're going to do this. We're going to one up in how we honor them. We're going to one-up in how we esteem them. Have you ever had someone do that in your life? Have you ever had someone that you could not give a compliment? They had this like ninja reflex to like take that compliment and push it right back over to you. I have that friend. His name is Bill Johnson. He leads the FCA ministry here at Texas A&M. And if you ever interact with Bill Johnson for any length of time, you will see his ninja-like reflexes when it comes to turning a compliment into an affirmation of you. It's amazing to behold, right? And so, I, so he'll just walk up, and he'll just walk up, and, it, and, and, and you won't even see it coming. I mean, he'll sneak up on you, and he goes, he'll be like, hey, how are you doing, man? You're looking so fit right now. You're looking so great. I can't believe how amazing you are. I can't believe how great your ministry is. I can't believe how great you are. And I'm like, I'm like, Bill, calm down. I'm like, I'm fine. How are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm great, but man, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so blessed by you. And you're like, okay, Bill, I have to outdo you somehow, right? And so I try to sneak up on Bill, right? Like, so... 
So he'll be standing, like checking his kids in, because he goes to Southwood, and he'll be checking his kids in. I walk behind him, like, hey, Bill, I just want to tell you, the way you're leading FCA, the people that you have there, like, it is absolutely amazing. You are so great. And then he just dodges it. He's like, really? And I saw you preach last week. And, I, and you encouraged my heart, and it, just the way that you... And, 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 I'm, and I'm looking at this, I'm like, I'm like, how did you dislodge and just keep on... But he does it, and it's absolutely beautiful. And I'll tell you what, when he honors, it is so genuine, it is so sincere, it is thoughtful. And I'm literally watching this person outdo me in honor. And I'll tell you what, that is what we're supposed to do as Christians. That is what we're supposed to do. We look at the the qualities of another person and we just affirm, we help them. Because when you got that type of wind behind you, gosh, you fly. We outdo one another in honor. And thirdly, he says, I want you to be passionate for what's right. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He says, I want you to be aglow with the spirit. I want the Spirit of God to be working so many great things that in you that, that literally people are saying, stop, you're too shiny. Like, I want you to be aglow with the Spirit. There's a quote by um, John Wesley, and it's attributed to him. I don't know if he actually said it, but he says this. You set yourself on fire with the passion of God, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. He says, you are passionate about God and his purposes. You're not lazy when it comes to what God is doing. You're you're energized to do what God is calling you to do. You're moving in passion. I'll tell you what, that is transformative. One of my favorite characters in history, uh, church history, was a guy named George Whitfield. He was literally the lightning bolt of the Second Great Awakening. He was the most popular figure across two continents. He would preach to crowds of literally 30,000 people. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, who was not a believer, watched George Whitfield preach at one point in Philadelphia. And he watched him and, and heard him. And he stood a, a distance back. And he says, if I was to calculate the, the circumference of each person and line them up here, I would think there are about 30,000 people that could hear his voice without voice amplification. It's incredible. As he would be on boats going across um, the, the oceans, he would, he would literally speak to the oceans, amazing passion for the Lord. One actor said at the time of George Whitfield's life, they're like, if I could just say, oh, like George Whitfield, because I don't know how he said it, but it was apparently impressive. But he had a passion for the Lord, and when people heard him preach, they said, I want to hear that man, and I want to hear the God that he's talking about. And you may not be a gifted communicator, and that doesn't matter. What matters is that the passion of Jesus Christ that is transforming you moves out of you to transform others. Are you aglow with the passion of Christ? Fourthly, when we're talking about believers, genuine love, it's consistent. He says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and and seek to show hospitality. He says, I want you to be hopeful and helpful. I want you to be people that, that believe that God can do something. That you are consistent in hope. That you are patient in tribulation. If you want to be patient in so that I know when I encounter this struggle, I know this won't be the end of me. And that when I see the needs of people, I move to meet those needs. 
Christians have genuine love that's sincere, it's honoring, it's passionate, and it's consistent. You don't get a different version of you from day to day, from week to week. And how do we do that? It's a transformed mind, a transformed, surrendered life. That the Spirit is working this in you, and as you move to other believers, they see this consistency beginning to be birthed in you. But it's not merely to the insiders. It's also to the outsiders. He says, I want you to have a radical love that extends even to your enemies. Verse 14, it says it this way. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with all. Verse 17, this gets it really tight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God. He says, I want you to love without boundaries. I want you to have a radical love without boundaries that loves even the people that hate you. And secondly, I want you to do right regardless of the result. I want you to do the right thing even if it hurts to do the right thing. So just this past month, um, there was a, and there was one judge, and I don't, I don't know the whole story, I don't know all the backstory, but I'm going to give you what the perception of what happened was. I don't know all the details, but the perception was this, that, that he lost re-election, and, so when, and he was known as a strict judge, really upheld what was right, and he was viewed as a strict judge. That was his normal operating procedure. And he walks in after losing re-election, and contrary to his typical form of judicial leadership, he lets several juvenile def- um, defenders go free, asking them this question, do you plan on killing anyone today? And if they said no, then he let them go. And I don't know exactly what was going on in his mind, what exactly the decisions were in making that decision, but the perception of people were, this is completely different than how he normally acts. He would have never have done this previously. And the accusation against him was, because you lost to a person of a different political party, you are then releasing all of these people. And they said, several of the defense attorneys that were even representing these, these, these kids were saying, and these kids don't even have anywhere to go. Like some of them don't have a family to go home to. And they were just like, what are you doing? And I don't know his motivation, but I'll tell you this. If his motivation was, I lost, so forget you. I don't know if that was his motion, but if that's what it is, then that's just wrong. The Christian is supposed to do the right thing even when it hurts, regardless of the results. Spider-Man taught us this. <laughs> right? So Tobey Maguire, in like the Spider-Man that was released several years ago, he, he had all this new energy, this new strength, and so he decides to go um, fight these, these guys in this like underground wrestling thing to make some extra money. And he fights this guy, beats this guy, and he walks to the person who's running this underground wrestling ring. And he says, hey, where's my money? And the guy shortchanges him, didn't give him enough money. And he's mad, he has an argument, but then he just walks out kind of frustrated. And then someone walks in behind him, holds up that man, steals all the money, and runs out right past Tobey Maguire. And the person runs out and goes, what are you doing? Like, you could have, you could have stopped that guy. 
Well, when Toby had told this man, I need more money because I need to pay for my grandma's medical bills, that man said, when is that my problem? And when that person ran out and he's talking with Toby, Toby then turns to him and goes, so when is that my problem? In that moment, my friend of mine was at a theater and he goes, and like everyone in the audience is like, oh, right? But then you see what happens next. He goes outside and that same man shoots his uncle. In that moment, Toby realizes, my decision to do the wrong thing to get vengeance on someone else did not pay. We are supposed to do the right thing regardless of the results. We don't have human enemies as Christians. We are ones that overcome evil with good. And that's what he goes on to say. He says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. The goodness will be like, ow, it hurts, it hurts. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. My best story for this is actually from the book called The Call by Oz Guinness. He tells a story of the, these French Christians that were um, protecting Jewish people in France from the Germans that were coming in. And one of was called the Night of Fog, where they were taking out all of these Jewish people to, be, to, to concentration camps. And, and this one group of French Christians um, were protecting them. And so the Nazis came to the pastor's house, Pastor Trome, and they arrested him. And they took him away. And his wife, Magna, saw these men coming at dinner time to take her husband away. And she asked them this question. Hey, have you all eaten yet? And she then serves them a meal that she would prepared for her family, prays for them, and sends them on their way. As they are arresting her husband for doing what was right. And she was asked, like, how could you do that? Like, how could you love that person who was arrested? I mean, they represent so much that is wrong, and that's very true. How could you be nice to them? And she kind of brushes it off. She goes, it was dinner time. They were hungry. What was I going to do? Like, how can you say that? A transformed mind leads a transformed life that serves sacrificially. And overcomes evil with good. How can we possibly do that? Well, that is the message of the gospel. Jesus, who, was, who lived a perfect life that, that no one could live up to his standard. He went to the cross and died. And you know what he did on the cross when people were hurling insults? Call the angels down. Like, save yourself from this moment. He's dying on the cross, getting insults thrown at him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He prays for his enemies on the cross. He dies forgiving. And the people watching this whole thing play out, they say, surely this is the Son of God. So how do we do this? How do we actually live this out? Let me tell you, you can't, but Jesus can. Jesus is both the author and perfecter of your faith. And if you believe in him, this is the life he's calling us to live. It's radically different. So what do we do? We pray. 
we rest on his grace and we look up to see the world very differently. Saying, who can I bless? Who can I love? And I don't care if they're on my team or radically against me. I move in love. And that is a transformative gospel. And that level of love, that'll change the world. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much for the radical love of Jesus Christ that looks radically different than our culture, that looks abilities beyond our ability to love sacrificially like this, to love radically like this, to love genuinely like this. And so, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would show us the people, the men and women you want us to be. And God, you would show us the steps we could take this week to move in your grace that we might be people that look radically different in this world. We love you. I lift up these students to you. So in order to me pray.